There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And just even these, this first verse that we hear, God, that we would just be focused on who you are, that in this moment, our hearts and minds would be open to hearing from you, that we'd hear you speak through your word, by your spirit. And God, just that uh, we would learn more about who you are, your character, so that ultimately we can become more like you. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So as we have been making our way through, we're coming just about to the very end of our time in the book of Exodus, but still going to be around Mount Sinai for a bit. Um, So as we saw last week, where we come to is this is just after the unfortunate golden calf moment, and God uh, gave everyone a choice. He sends Moses down, and Moses says, here's your choice. You can continue to to indulge yourself in self-worship, or you can choose... Yahweh's side. You choose. And we found out that about 3,000 men decided, you know what? I like worshiping myself more than God. And so they found themselves at the end of the sword. Now, after that punishment was carried out, those by faith who did not receive the punishment found out that God said, but there's a consequence here. Your sin carries a consequence. And the number one consequence of all sin is that it hinders us from experiencing God's presence. And God had said to Moses, he says, I'm going to send an angel, but I'm not going with you. And we see that that the people and Moses, they just break down. They're going, I mean, thanks, angels are great, but without you, what is there? In fact, Moses goes on to say, you haven't told me the name of this. This is a nameless angel. I know the name of the Lord. I, I, I know the angel of the name of the Lord. I know the angel of the presence. I spend time. I don't know this one. And Moses is saying, if you're not going to go with us, and please don't even ask me to go up there. Exodus 33, 15. Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses saying, God, if you're not going, Yahweh, if you are not going, please don't ask me to go anywhere. I'd rather be where you are than anywhere else. And again, this begged a question to us last week. It asked us the question is, do you love Jesus or do you love the stuff that you get from Jesus? And and it bears out this question of of taking that further, is you'd have to ask yourself, is that would you be okay with going to heaven if it meant that Jesus wasn't there? Would you be okay saying, yeah, I'd I'd, I'd love to go to this place, this place of paradise, everything I've heard about it. It sounds like a really awesome place. I'd love to be there. And they said, oh, but Jesus wouldn't be there. Do you find yourself going, well, then what's the point? Or do you go, no, that's, that's great. And that, that's something that for you to ask yourself. And here, and again, and, and yes, I intentionally set this question up, and I mean in all seriousness when I say this, 
to make that statement, the question itself is an oxymoron. Because you cannot have heaven and paradise apart from Christ. That is the mistake that the world is making every single day. They are seeking fulfillment. They are seeking paradise apart from Christ. And all that comes up with is emptiness and pain. The question begs because the reality is until we get our mind around that, that apart from Christ, there is nothing. Without Jesus, there is no joy, no peace, no fulfillment, no purpose. There's no rest. But the complete opposite is true because with Jesus, there is joy, peace, and fulfillment, purpose, and rest. And they are so abundant that they're like giant, luscious, bursting fruit in a cool garden where you and Yahweh can just walk and be. Continue on, as we looked in, in 33, verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, after this choice of self-worship, and then after the consequence of sin was made known, it says, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. So Moses was saying to him, he's saying, God, if you're not going to send, if you're not going to go with us, don't send us. And then God says, I'm going to go with you. You figured it out. You're calling for me to be with you. And that's right where I want to be. And so then Moses goes, well, if you're going to be there, I want it all. I want, I want to see your glory. I, I want to I see your fullness. And God says to him, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And again, just real quickly as we recap this, just for any confusion, Titus chapter 2 verse 11 makes it clear, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. In verse 20, the Lord continues, but he said, you cannot see my face. You cannot see my panim, for no man shall see me and live. For the Lord said, here is my place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but not my face. Oh, but my face shall not be seen. And so again, what he's, he's made very clear, and we saw that in the last chapter, God's saying, you and your human nature, in this human form, you cannot tolerate my full presence. Again, what God had said to him says, my presence can't go with you in the way we are right now, because if I just showed up in your current state, you'd be smoked, you'd be vaporized. You cannot tolerate that. You need an intercessor. You need a way by which you can experience my fullness. And what's so amazing here is at the end, what we understand what God is communicating about this rock that he will place Moses. As we find out in scripture later that that rock that followed them throughout the wilderness is the rock of Jesus Christ. And so to experience the fullness of God's love for you is to know Jesus, the angel of the presence of Yahweh, the light, the rock. No, not Dwayne Johnson. I'm sure he would love to think of himself that way. Maybe a little enigmatic that he uses a bowl as a symbol. Who knows? With Jesus, there is joy and peace and fulfillment. Purpose rests so abundantly again, guys. They're just like, God is saying, I've, just, I've got this awesome fruit for you and I just want you to take it, but it cannot be experienced apart from him. 
But when you are securely in the rock, you will see the presence of God. And someday, guys, someday we will be translated to where we will be able to stand in the fullness and gaze upon him, but not right now. With that, Exodus chapter 34, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. I love God giving Moses his personal responsibility. Again, this is so interesting. And man's anger, if you guys remember when they were going back and forth on the mountain, that God says, I'm going to burn these people and I'm going to start over with you. He ends up quoting the Abrahamic covenant to Moses and Moses, thinking that he's the guy who came up with the idea, goes, God, remember your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And God says, okay, God, you, you got this. And then Moses gets down from the mountain, sees the very thing that God said he was going on, and he takes the tablets and he breaks them. And there's such irony here, because, but, but I want this to even start off from the, let's just kind of get this imagery wrapped around our head because the, the imperfectness of man, that God's not using, again, this Mary Sue character without flaws. He's using real people. And we have these issues. But one thing it should highlight and show us is that in our fallen nature, in our sin nature, when we're acting in the flesh, man, we're so quick to break God's word. And yet the very opposite we're going to see throughout here is God is wanting to even draw right here a distinction. God says, I will not break my word. But us in our human nature and our anger are so quick to want to break God's word. And I love that even here, God's giving him a personal responsibility. God's saying, I didn't do that. I didn't ask you to do that. I gave you the tablets. I told you to take the lot of the people. You got down there in your anger. You smashed them. So now, Moses, you're going to come back up into the mountain. Oh, and by the way, this time, carve out the stones and carry them on up with you. Verse two, so be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to the Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before the mountain. This is again, guys, this is holy ground. Mount Sinai, the burning mountain, the place where there was the burning bush, now the burning mountain. God's saying, I'm, I'm gonna, my presence is gonna be intensified in this place. And God is holy and the space around him is holy. And so just as he had said to Moses, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. Just as Joshua would be told the same thing, that's what's happening here. He's saying, this mountain is about to experience an intensity of my presence and there is a holiness there. So we need to understand that because again, to try and enter into that holy presence outside of God's decree only will lead to self-destruction. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hands two tablets of stone. Now, we didn't really cover this, and I'm going to go super quick through this part, but I wonder if any of you guys have ever asked, why two? Why are there two tablets? The, I don't know if you guys do. You run out of paper when you guys are writing. You're like, oh, I was writing that long note, and I got to flip it over. Is God going, hey, this is going to be really long, and I'm going to run out of room, so make sure you got to... That's not what's happening here. It's not like God was writing big and then went, oh, I need extra room. Now, pardon the pun here. It's intentional. A little bit of dad joke weaved in. This would be considered a carbon copy. No, rock, carbon. Okay. In this day, when you would have a covenant, an agreement, a legal binding, is just like today, you guys, if you've ever signed a piece of paper, and then they've got that nice part that you rip off, and you take a copy, and they take a copy, and you say, we both agree that this was an agreement made between. That's what the two stone tablets are. 
God is writing the covenant and then he makes a copy as if to say, this is a certified copy. This is my word. And then these copies are going to be placed into what? The Ark of the Covenant, the promise. Now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. I'm going to read that verse five again. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Again, Yahweh coming on the cloud, standing before men. We see Jesus make this evidently clear as he declares himself to be this very Yahweh who comes on the clouds is in Luke chapter 21, verse 25 through 28. Jesus says, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son of man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now these things begin to happen. Look up and lift up your head because your redemption draws near. And in Matthew chapter 26, as Jesus in this corrupt trial stands before the Sanhedrin, And the leader of the Sanhedrin, the high priest, answered and said to him, I put you under oath, speaking to Jesus by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. Again, to anyone who tries to say that Jesus never claimed deity, they are completely and sometimes just non-maliciously, but they're ignorant to the fact of who Christ has always said himself to be. As we see the Lord coming down in the cloud and standing before and speaking with Moses, Jesus says, that is me. And they knew it because they said it's blasphemy. As they said earlier to Jesus, they said, you being a man, make yourself equal with God. Continue on in verse 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Something incredibly weird and messed up happens with most people in verses like that. It was very intentional that I had Kenneth read that verse to you because I wanted to settle in her mind in the beginning is that some people will hear this section and they'll go, oh man, God's so mean. How unfair. How did you get that through this passage? You'll, you'll read through the section and they go, this seems completely unjust. This isn't fair. And it's one of the things, like, are, are we... Are we reading the same section here as God is declaring who himself to be? And I think the mistake that happens here is something also weird happens is people will then take these passages and either they don't think God's fair or they do this weird twisted thing of coming up with something called generational sin. As if somehow that because a dad sinned that a son's going to pay the penalty for that. And yet how many times already in the book of Exodus has God made that clear? In fact, when Moses tried to say, look, Forgive them, but if you don't blot me out, and God says, that's not how this works. Punishment comes on the one who sins. God has gone out of his way to make this incredibly clear. 
Later, you'll have a prophet that God will speak through and say, all you guys who keep talking like God acts this way, that you say, oh, the people's teeth are set on edge because their father ate sour grapes. God says, stop it. Stop saying that. That's not my character. That's not who I am. And it's completely actually opposite to what exactly was even being said right here. But one place your mind should go when you hear this passage is go all the way back to what's actually happening right now as God is rescribing the Ten Commandments back to Exodus chapter 20 where God is giving his character in the imperative form because in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 and 6, God says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities upon the children to the third and fourth generations. That sounds familiar to what we just read, but he continued that of those who hate me. God made it clear. We, this language that God is using to describe himself should pull you right back to the first time he gave the Decalogue. And in that, God made it clear. The sin, the, the punishment comes upon the guilty. It's not like God says, well, hey, I'm just going to go about smacking people who are innocent because, you know, I'm just that way. But even in there, in chapter 20, verse 6, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Guys, there is a lie that the enemy will throw at you right now and it takes root and is one of the most dangerous lies that we can believe about our sin. And it is this, that your sin and the consequences of them are isolated to you. You think because you do it in secret that somehow it's only affecting you. I'm only hurting myself. Guys, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Your sin is not isolated to you. It affects the people around you and the world around you. Selfishness is a cancer that destroys all around it. What at a minimum your sin will do is a practice of selfishness that has your mind trained to think on yourself other than the people next to you. You may not even realize the pain you're causing on someone else in your selfishness. Let's not get into the fact of the people who think that they can play around with drunkenness and the amount of families that have been destroyed by that. Again, those who practice sexual impurity and, and, and sexual practices before God's design of marriage, not realizing that you are training yourself in a way that has been known to be so destructive to families. It is not isolated to yourself. And even if you think right now it is, it's not. But again, guys, the, the, the number one, the number one consequence of sin is the reason why it's not just isolated to you is it grieves the Holy Spirit to a God who loves you and wants to be with you and your sin right away puts you at arm's length and says, it puts a distance between you and God and says, I don't want any of that. I want to be close. The other thing here, what's so sad about this is that people will, will, will read a passage like this and they say, well, that's just not fair. That's not fair to the third and fourth generations. One, let's make this clear. Exodus 20 made it clear. He's not going around punishing innocent for the guilt of somebody else, the guilty, but there are consequences to your sins. They're saying if you live a life of sin, if you live a life saying, I hate God, there are consequences to that. And when God doles out punishment on that individual, there is a splash effect that will have consequences to people around you. But I want you to even hear what God says about that judgment to the third and fourth generation. What is a generation when that child becomes aged to have their own children? That is a generation. He's saying basically this will be visited upon the son, the grandson, and in some cases, great-grandson. What is that saying? To the one who's being punished, God says, my punishment is on the guilty for a lifetime. 
But guys, if you think that this time in the earth is, is all there is, again, that is the error of the enemy because what does the counter say? God says, but my mercy, my grace, my compassion, it's a thousand generations. The language is intentional to show a comparative. God is saying, my judgment that I pour out on the guilty who say they hate me, that's for a, 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 a human life. That is for that person's lifetime. And when that's done, that's done. And God says, but comparatively, my grace, my mercy, that's a thousand generations. It's a thousandfold of the punishment. So to get the opposite out of this, it's again, somehow it, it, it is, you come in with already a worldly lens and apply it to something where God says, I just told you that I'm gonna punish the guilty, which to do otherwise would be unjust and not kind. And I said, I'm gonna do it to that person. And even the splash effect is gonna affect that person's lifetime. But my grace and my mercy, it's endless. A thousand generations. And Moses, knowing this in verse eight, it says, Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, if now I find grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go out among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Moses does something here so amazing that you'll see even like someone like Daniel. Daniel, this young guy who's upright and, and unjustly gets taken to Babylon. And then as, as Daniel is praying before God about his people, he doesn't do this thing that I know I, I, I got to tell you, I'll be so quick to do. Those people are awful. Have, have you know, grace and mercy on those disgusting, evil sinners. So easy. How many of them in this church can, can do the finger pointing game and do this comparison? But that's not what Moses does. That's not what Daniel does. He pulls himself in and says, I know my heart. I know the truth. I know that my heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And he pulls himself right in with his people and says, God, God forgive us. We are hard-hearted people. And in this moment, we understand what, what James tells us in chapter four, verse six, where he says, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God, resist the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is a humble leader who doesn't stand up before God in pride to say, these people. He says, we're, we're hard-hearted. We need you. And how does God respond to this humbleness? And he, God, said, behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Some of you, that word awesome, may say terrible. Terribly awesome. God is saying, in, in Moses' humbleness, he says, we're hard-hearted, we need you. And God says, I have made a promise to you. I will not break my word. I will be with you. And what I'm about to do in and through you, the world hasn't even said. And guys, and I want you guys to put this in perspective. God's saying, hey, the rod turned to a serpent, the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the beating of the Amalekites, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's what God does is to affirm what he's already done and said, I have a great plan for you. And that word awesome and terrible, again, we spoke about this earlier as God said he would send the fear of the Lord before him as we get to the city of Jericho and Rahab the harlot says, we have heard what your God did to the Egyptians, what he did when he parted the Red Sea, what he did when he beat the, the giants along the way, and your God is the true God. 
Verse 11, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the uh, Perzerite, the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest they be a snare in your midst. Unfortunately, we know that that's exactly what they're going to do. And God has already warned them so many times. And again, God, even knowing beforehand that these people, he's warned them over and over, I'm sending you into a land. I'm going to fight your battles for you. And when I've beaten your enemy, don't go and make a covenant with him. Don't become friends with the enemies who would want you destroyed. James chapter 4, verse 4, before that amazing verse of 4, 6 that we read, says, adulterer and adulteress, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Again, we read that amazing verse. What is the answer to that? Verse 6 of James 4. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 13, but you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of his daughters and for your sons and his daughters, and play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. This is interesting to me because what God is saying is not only do I not want this to happen for you in your life, don't go and play the harlot. Don't go and prostitute yourself with these false gods. But he says, and if you do, something worse is going to happen. You're going to pull your kids into this mess. You make this choice and your kids are going to do that. You're going to take for your sons their daughters and you're going to take your daughters and give them to their sons? Guys, I want you to know this right here and right now. God cares about who you will marry. God cares. We're seeing it right here. God is saying, I care about the next generation spouses. He cares about who your spouse will be. That's why he makes it so clear that we're, we as believers are not to be unequally yoked. Why? Because how can two walk together unless they be agreed? He's making it clear that you can't have salt water and fresh water coming from the same spring. And here he knows because this is the snare that so easily entangles Let me me just put it this way. No missionary dating. Period. Period. He continues on in verse 17. You shall make no molding gods for yourself like the golden calf. The feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out from Egypt. All that opened the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep, but the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons shall be redeemed. Again, he's pulling them back to, as he's talking to the Decalogue and where all of this is, and where is the motivation to come from? Not out of guilt, not out of punishment. He is a God who's saying, I have already told you that I'm, I want to pour out my grace and my mercy upon, and then he takes them back where? To the Sabbath, to the Passover, the place of redemption and rest. None shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in the harvest you shall rest. And you shall observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of the harvest and the feast of the ingathering at the year's end. 
Three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times a year. You should not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of Passover be left until morning. The first fruits of your land shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Again, guys, what's happening in chapter 34 is God is inscribing the Decalogue again on these tablets. He is taking Moses back to the Decalogue, God's character in the imperative, the motivation for that, him saying, where did that all start from? Remember, this is the God who has provided you new life, not out of works, but out of simple walking by faith. And then this very last passage here is he's pulling in that we went through that book of the covenant. What was the book of the covenant? The book of the covenant was the practical everyday implementation into any culture, God's character. And so in 34, guys, here's Here's the reminder. And I want, this is what I meant by starting from the beginning. This is what God is saying in all of this. And in fact, we're not going to end up, we're going to pretty much wrap up Exodus right here. We'll do some review because chapters 35 through 40 is the building of the tabernacle. And what is all of this building to? God gave the direction for the tabernacle. God gave his promise before the golden calf. Men rebelled, men self-worshiped. And what does God come along and say? My word hasn't failed, and I have not changed my word. Humans, you are so quick to break my word, but God says, I will never break my word. Numbers chapter 23, 19 says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, we're told Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Then the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words, the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Which, by the way, for you note takers, that is the first time you get the word Ten Commandments. Remember in chapter 20, you never actually got that phrase. Here's where we get the title, the Decalogue, the Ten Words from that passage right there. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands when he came down from the mountain. Now Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near. Then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near and he gave them as commandments all the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that, his, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Guys, the amazing contrast that is happening at the end of this section is again, all of it to drive back the contrast between man's choice of trying to self-worship or even again for that multi-thought of trying to meet God through that golden calf to those who wanted to worship it or seek the golden calf as the mediator. God, God says, that is not how I will come before you. 
Not by some inanimate object, not by some thing crafted by human hands, but he goes, no, my intermediate will be crafted by my hand. One of my children who I formed in the womb. And the complete contrast of the shining gold that was ground into powder with the shining face of Moses. God is saying, this is the way by which I will interact with humans. That I will pour out my presence upon and they can take that for all to see. That is why Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, 16, you, you who have placed your faith in him, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, God wants you to experience him. But you can only, only experience his presence if you are securely in the rock of Jesus Christ. God is just and merciful. That's why Romans chapter 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the thing, guys. We sin. We mess up. It is our nature. There are consequences to that sin, none greater than a hindrance in our relationship with God. But what did we see over and over in this chapter that God is wanting us to understand? He is faithful to his word even when we in our anger would break his word. God is faithful even when we are not. He is quick to forgive and he pours out his unending mercy and grace. He will never change. We are called to reflect the light of God to this dark world. But that can only happen if you are spending time in the presence of God with Jesus, praying and talking with him and reading his word. That is what we are called to do. That is who we are called to be. And that is the promise of God. He will say he will do in and through you. And even when we mess up to know that he is a God who is so quick to forgive and says, yeah, there are consequences, but he is ready to pour out an unending mercy and grace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time in your word. And Father, as we, we see the contrast to, to our ways of trying to reach you, the religion of man who, who seek an, an intermediate, who seek uh, 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 an intersect beyond what you have provided, God, it only leads to death and destruction. But God, in you is the fullness of life. And it is when we are in your presence that we are fulfilled, not wanting for anything. And Lord, I just pray that we wouldn't look at spending time in your word as a grueling task, but a, an amazing moment where we get to connect with you. A God who knows us by name, you loved us on the cross, you have given us new life by the empty tomb. And Lord, would that be the motivation for just spending time with you? In your son's name, amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derived from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. 
The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at SickosBeatSuck797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.